Good morning, beautiful people. Welcome to Tiffany Talks. Thank you for listening today. Uh, I've got a lot to cover for you today. I'm going to talk a little bit. Of course, I'm going to give you your black history dose, uh, but I'm also going to give a uh, little summary about some things going on with the Olympics. The opening ceremony was uh, last night. And so I'll tell you a little bit about what's been going on with that and why quite a few people are saying, just shut, including me, are saying, just let it go. We'll see how it goes though. I'm also going to talk a bit about COVID. I'll give you an update on what's going on with Cuba. And I'm going to give you a good summary on the town hall. I got some messages and uh, some comments that I I just didn't watch it. So I'm gonna just wait for your recap. Well, here, that recap is happening. So I've got plenty to talk about. Before I get started though, uh, it is a Friday, but this Sunday will be uh, Emmett Till's birthday. Emmett Till was born July 25th, 1941 in Chicago. Uh, he was brutally lynched and murdered in 1955 at the age of 14 for allegedly whistling at a white woman. Now that white said white woman came out later and said that she was lying. Uh, it was many years later after the after the murder occurred. Uh, but here's what I want to say about this. One, happy early heavenly birthday to Emmett Till. I I'm still not over it. And I know many, many others still are not over it. If you have never been to the National Museum, Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture in DC, please go. Please, please, please go. You need like two days in there because it you can you, there's just no way to get through it in one day, emotionally, mentally, and physically. There's no way to get through it in one day. There just isn't. When I went to the museum, it was actually Emmett Till's birthday. And they had a, a room where you his casket is in there and it's videos playing and it's an, a room to honor him. And I don't, I, I don't know if it was the room itself or if it was because it was his birthday or both. Um, I'm sure it feels the same even when it's not his birthday, but the feeling you feel in that room is indescribable to say the least. Um, here's what else I want to say. There's an Emmett Till anti-lynching bill that was originally introduced more than a century ago, and it has failed to pass more than 200 times. It was uh, in House last year in 2020. It passed the House, it got to the Senate and died on the Senate floor. They would not pass it in the year 2020, an anti-lynching bill. Now, some of you may be asking, well, why do we need an anti-lynching bill in 2020? I'm not saying lynching is still happening, but I will say that there have been at least three deaths that I can think of off the top of my head in the last year where black people have been found hanging from a tree. And all of them were classified as suicide. All of them. Questionably, I might add. Um, not only that, this country has a history of not righting its wrongs and not completely learning from past mistakes. So this bill was actually reintroduced as HR 55, 
Representative Bobby Rush introduced this in January of this year, and he is the uh, Democratic representative for Illinois. It was referred to the Subcommittee on Crime, Terrorism, and Homeland Security, which is what happened to it before when it died on the Senate floor last year. Uh, so we'll see how far it gets, uh, but that's where it is right now. If you want to learn more about this bill, go to uh, congress.gov. You can read HR 55, that's House Resolution 55. Uh, and you can also look up the original resolution, which is HR 35 in the related bills, including the Justice Act. Pay particular attention to the Justice Act in the related bills tab on that site. That is S3985. So again, that's you want to look up HR 55, HR 35, and S3985. If you look up H35, then uh, the Justice Act or S3985 will also be attached. And HR 55 is the new resolution that was introduced in January. Uh, so that's history fact one. History fact two, because I've got a couple for today. So in 1967, this year may sound familiar if you listen to uh, the, the last show. In 1967, July 23rd, 1967, the race riots in Detroit broke out. Uh, so let me tell you why this year may sound familiar, and then I'll tell you about the race riots in Detroit. In the last show, we talked about the Black Power Conference in Newark, New Jersey, which also happened in 1967. Before that conference, there were riots in New Jersey, in Newark, in New Jersey. Uh, so right around, literally within like a week of each other, riots are happening in two different states. So leading up to the Black Power Conference in Newark, New Jersey, which started July 20th, 1967, that was held in, in Newark, New Jersey, leading up to that date, July 20th, there were riots in Newark. July 23rd through the 27th, the race riots happened in Detroit due to a, basically the police were raiding a bar, but there happened to be a lot of people in the streets because it was a hot summer and folks were trying to cool off. So a brick was thrown through a police officer's window and it started, kicked off the riots that lasted from the 23rd through the 27th. 43 people died, 342 were injured, Nearly 1,400 buildings were burned, and the National Guard was deployed by the governor at the time. 7,000 National Guard and U.S. Army troops were called into service. So hundreds of families were left uh, home uh, to experience homelessness. They, they lost their homes. White flight got worse, and they moved into the suburbs. But it caught the attention of President Lyndon B. Johnson, uh, and the Kerner Report was was birthed. Now, the Kerner Report essentially found that re white racism, discrimination, and poverty led to, were at least the top factors that led to the race riots in Detroit. The Kerner Report stated, our nation is moving toward two societies, one black and one white, separate and unequal. That's the Kerner Report. 
that resulted from the 1967 Detroit riots. If you want to know more about that, of course, as always, look it up. But I will also be tweeting about this. That is all of your history for today. Now, in other news, Marla Gibbs, the incomparable Marla Gibbs, finally received her flowers, at least some of them. She received her walk, her star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Congratulations to the outstanding Marla Gibbs. If you don't know who Marla Gibbs is, she was the amazing uh, woman that played Florence on the show Jefferson's, which is one of my mom's favorite shows. Uh, shout out to my mother. She, uh, her favorite, one of her favorite episodes of the Jefferson's is when Billy Dee Williams comes to visit and Florence thinks that it's a stunt double. So when she finds out it's the real Billy Dee Williams, she's like, oh, Billy Dee, oh, Billy Dee, oh, please don't leave me now. It's one of my mother's favorite episodes. Uh, so five time Emmy nominated actress, five time Emmy nominated. Uh, she has continued working. She uh, did a role uh, a couple years ago. I think it was 2018. So I'm going to play a clip from that show. Here's Marla Gibbs. And you actually started acting at the age of 44. But what yes. did you know you had made it? I still haven't made it, baby. I'm still trying. Okay. <laughs> You're only as good as your next project. Okay. Yes. So I'll be on NCIS the end of the month. Okay. Yeah. okay. You better shout out to books. Shout and, out to books. And yes, I, I, or, I auditioned, yes. You, oh, oh, really? You had to audition? Because I wouldn't oh, yeah. think that you still audition. Do you, you still do? Oh, yeah. I would think as a legend, they would just call you right? for these roles. Right. Yeah. You, you would still think audition. that, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> but how does it feel to audition? Do you like it? Not so much? Oh, no. You feel like you won the role. Right. Uh, no. Just okay. give it to you. You won it. You I know. <laughs> Tiffany Talks. Welcome back to Tiffany Talks. If you missed any of the information, uh, actually, I'm not going to do that. Welcome back to Tiffany Talks. I'm your host, Tiffany Linnell. Thank you for joining me today. So on to the Olympics. The 2020, uh, 2021 Olympics have uh, kicked off. They kicked off an opening ceremony in Tokyo last night. I, I'll i be honest, I, I, I didn't watch it. Um, I, I don't plan to watch any of the Olympics, if I can just be honest. I'm still not over what they did to uh, Shikari Richardson, among a plethora of other things going on that we've talked about in recent weeks, recent weeks, uh, but I'm going to tell you some more about what's been going on. So uh, some are calling the 2021 Olympics a 20 billion billion. That's with a B. I hope you heard me. 20 billion. Okay. 20 billion bust. $20 billion buzz. Like that's, that's pretty big. Uh, so it happened overnight. Well, overnight for us here, uh, but it technically happened today. So essentially the opening ceremony kicked off, but here's what's been going on behind the scenes. So everyone already knows about Shakari Richardson. I think I talked about them banning Afro uh, hair caps and all this other stuff. So now, in case you haven't heard, Toyota also pulled out as one of only 13 worldwide sponsors. 
13. There's only 13 of them. And Toyota, of course, one of the biggest sponsors, said, nope, we're we're not gonna we're not gonna do this. Uh, they would not run any ads in Japan tied to the Olympics, which sends a huge message. They spent bi- millions, millions with an M, millions of dollars on Super Bowl commercials uh, featuring the Olympic rings, but said it was too sensitive in Tokyo uh, and that they just wouldn't run any ads. So it opened a year late. Like it's literally the Olympics are a year late and a dollar short. Literally. <laughs> like literally. There is a state of emergency in Tokyo right now that is set to continue through August. Overseas spectators were banned in March. Local spectators have now been banned as well. The Prime Minister Shuga uh, said that he was confident that keeping the public away would help prevent the spread of infection, which right now they are facing one thousand new cases from the Delta variant, uh, which continues to grow. But he said, I decided that the Olympics can go ahead without compromising the safety of the Japanese people. The simplest thing and the easiest thing is to quit. But the government's job is to tackle challenges. Okay. Yeah, I mean, sure. Uh, They're also trying to rebound and recover the economy and the heart of the the nation uh, from the devastating tsunami that took place in 2011. That killed almost 20,000 people. Uh, So local organizers were forecasting that a flood of visitors would come to Japan and would spend nearly $2 billion on meals, transport, hotels, merchandise, and that the seven-day event would motivate others to visit Japan and bring in more more in revenue. Uh, but it's, it's just not looking like that's going to happen. As of Monday, just 22% of the population is fully vaccinated. Tokyo, as I said, Tokyo State of Emergency is set to continue through August 22nd. Coaches uh, and uh, athletes have started testing positive. Uh, Many players on the South African men's soccer team have also been put into isolation after close contact with two of its members uh, who tested positive. So they're saying, uh, one, there was a poll conducted by a public broadcaster, NHK, between July 9th and July 11th that found that nearly two thirds of the Japanese people were not persuaded that the Olympics should continue ahead. Several polls show that Mr. Sugar, the prime minister, enjoys the support of only about a third of the public, which is a new low. ILC member Dick Pound said that only Armageddon could stop the games from taking place, adding later that the Olympics would go ahead even if Mr. Sugar wanted them to be canceled. That's rude and disrespectful, to say the least. Uh, This is a huge economic risk, financially uh, and health-wise. It's a really big risk. Now, in recent news, the opening ceremony director was fired over comments that he made uh, that, you know, 
things resurface things never really die on the internet um but he uh, he made a joke about the holocaust as part of a comedy act in the 1990s it resurfaced and he was fired his statement was i offer my deep apology for causing trouble and worry for many people concerned as well as tokyo residents and japanese people when the opening ceremony is almost upon us you cannot joke about the holocaust you you just you just can't like you just can't the prime minister Suga called the comments outrageous and unacceptable uh an international jewish human rights organization released a statement saying that his participation would insult the memory of the six million jewish people who perished in the holocaust like you can't joke about the Holocaust. So their opening ceremony director was fired. They've been ter- like horrible news about Shakari Richardson, COVID, like none of the news coming out of it is good. Uh, the head of the Tokyo uh, organizing committee, Tokyo 2020, cause it was supposed to happen last year. The head of the organizing committee resigned after making sexist remarks. The creative head also resigned after he made derogatory comments about a popular Japanese female entertainer let it go what what Idina Menzel sing on Frozen let it go let it go this is also uh, coming alongside of the NFL warning teams against rising COVID-19 outbreaks. So due to the rise of COVID-19 cases, there's variant cases, there's Delta and Lambda variants running around. There's a lot going on. The NFL has now uh, warned teams of new, not warned, they've given new COVID policies that will be put in place. So NFL commissioner Roger Goodell has released a memo saying that if a game, if a game cannot be rescheduled during the 18-week season due to the outbreak of COVID among unvaccinated players, then they will be forced to forfeit and be credited with a loss. In addition to the forfeit and loss, the players on both teams will not be paid for the loss contest, and the team responsible for the canceled game due to the players being unvaccinated will cover the financial losses and discipline from the outbreak. uh, Okay. Last year, because of the pandemic, the NFL was forced to rework the schedule and, you know, we all know what happened last year. Uh, This season, they plan to play 272 games over an 18 week period. They're hoping that this will force their unvaccinated players, coaching staff and owners to get vaccinated. It was also reported that uh, the players have been reporting to camps uh, and there has been an increase in vaccinations. More than 78% of the players across all teams have had at least one shot. 85% of the players across uh, 14 teams are vaccinated and 32 teams have a 50% vaccination rate. Goodell also stated that vaccinated vaccinated players and staff that test positive for COVID-19 can own, can return once they have two negative tests 24 hours apart. Those who are not vaccinated will continue their 2020 protocols and require a 10-day isolation. One, I didn't know they were giving the NFL players the option. I mean, I guess that makes sense. Uh, you can't really 
force people to get the vaccinations. I just didn't, I wasn't aware they were they weren't enforcing uh, a vaccination policy within the NFL. I want to know what y'all think about this. Like, do y'all think that the NFL should impose a vaccination requirement? Do you think that these new COVID policies that are being implemented are fair? I don't know that I really have an opinion. I mean, I I may. I don't know. We'll we'll see. We'll see how this goes. Um, I'm I'm interested to see if that number continues to rise or if some of the franchises decide to make their own requirements or rules or anything like that. NFL season is it's it's coming upon us, y'all. It's almost August, um, which means it's almost September. So we'll see what that looks like. Um, I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure. We'll see what this looks like. I don't want to miss the NFL. So I'm going to just say that. Uh, So I've got more show coming up for you next. You do not want to miss it. I'll be right back. Welcome back to Tiffany Talks. I'm your host, Tiffany Linnell. Uh, So the Biden administration has uh, offered, has decided to sanction Cuban officials. Uh, President Biden asked his administration to create a remittance working group to find the best options to get money to uh, those in Cuba without the regime's interference. He initially said he didn't want to reinstate the practice of remittances. He is facing a lot of pressure from uh, Florida's leaders and Cuban Americans to take more action action in Cuba, including from Republican leaders Marco Rubio, Maria Salazar, and more who have held multiple conferences urging the Biden administration to help. Cuban-Americans protested in D.C., as I mentioned uh, in the last show, and they did uh, protest last Saturday outside the White House and Cuban embassy. In addition, the Biden senior advisor, Cedric Richmond and senior national security council official Juan Gonzalez met with Cuban American leaders, which I read that statement in the last show. It was one paragraph and whatever, not, not near. Yeah. Anywho. Treasury Department's Office of Foreign Assets Control uh, took a look at sanctioning and they have decided to sanction Cuban officials for human rights violations. They may also work with international organizations to boost humanitarian assistance. The State Department is uh, looking at bolstering the staff at the Havana's U.S. Embassy to, quote, facilitate diplomatic, consular, and civil society engagement and an appropriate security posture. Uh, So he's also looking to continue for ways to send internet to Cuba. As I mentioned in the last show, they are essentially censoring internet, which is, does not have a good infrastructure in Cuba anyway. Uh, but where there is internet, it's, it's, it's not good. Um, they're trying to prevent information from leaving Cuba uh, so that we can see what is really going on. If you missed the last show where I interviewed a Cuban American, one of our contributors, and she gave some personal experience and really good information, please go check out that show. Although Pro- Biden administration and Biden himself has promised, made promises to change Trump's Cuba policies, it has not been made a, p- a priority. So those policies are still under review. No word on if he's going to, you know, reverse any of those. No word on like, yeah, just nothing. Uh, So we'll see what happens after the Cuba sanctions. We'll see if this shifts anything, but really it's, it's symbolic. I don't know if this is going to actually hold them accountable for what's going on in Cuba. I don't know that it's actually going to uh, shift the needle to, to 
to do any, I don't know that this will work at the end of the day. I don't know that this will work. Um, so we'll, we'll wait and see. Now, in other news, uh, arrest in voting rights. I've mentioned voting rights before. I mentioned the For the People Act and the John Lewis uh, Voting Rights Act in the last show. I also was tweeting about it during the town hall the other night uh, and have mentioned those bills, H.R. 1, H.R. 4. I'm going to talk about them a little bit more in the next hour, but yesterday there was a protest so if you remember a couple of weeks ago there was a black woman led protest on july 15th which ended in nine arrests including the arrest of congressional black caucus chair representative joyce Beatty. uh now representative hank johnson who is a democratic representative here in georgia was among 10 demonstrators that was arrested by u.s capitol police yesterday in an quote orchestrated act of civil disobedience outside the uh heart center office building on Capitol Hill. Now, it just really never ceases to amaze me how they can arrest protesters, but y'all are still having a hard time arresting folks who committed treason among a plethora of other acts on January 6th. I also keep seeing articles and information about the Capitol Police running out of money, but y'all can arrest representatives and congressional chairs. Oh, okay. Uh, all over voting rights. So remember I talked about the voting rights and how the bills are stalled because they won't pass them. Well, Johnson and other advocates participated in a Black Voters Matter Fund. If you don't know what Black Voters Matter is, please look them up. Uh, there was a Brother's Day of Action pro, uh, that was led by Black men who are advocating for voting rights, calling on Congress to end the filibuster and pass the For the People Act. We'll talk about the filibuster uh, in the next hour. So, one, Hank Johnson, Representative Hank Johnson and Representative John Lewis were friends. They were really good friends. They are in districts literally neighboring districts. Uh, Representative John Lewis covered portions of Atlanta and DeKalb County, and Representative Hank Johnson covers a good portion of DeKalb County. So their districts were were literally right next to each other. Uh, Representative Hank Johnson is, from all accounts that I can see, uh, because I I am near his district, um, was almost in his district, actually. Uh, But he is a really good representative. He really puts his 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 feet to the floor like it's not a game um so i'm not surprised that he was there i'm not surprised that he uh, was arrested he made a statement saying he was honoring his friend john lewis representative john lewis and getting into good trouble i am so disappointed i'm so disappointed in them not passing these acts and i mentioned the emmett till anti-lynching act earlier in the show as well like this is common sense legislation i i I don't understand what the what the issue is but We'll talk more about the filibuster. Also, a DEA Drug Enforcement Administration agent, Mark Sami Ibrahim, has posed for photographs. Well, he posed for photographs where he flashed his badge and firearm outside the U.S. Capitol during the January 6th riot, and he has been arrested on those charges. Videos showed him carrying a flag that said liberty or death outside the Capitol just minutes before people uh, pulled the set of 
barricades part. He was a probationary employee of the DEA and was on a personal leave the day of the insurrection. Weeks before he gave his division notice of his intention to resign, uh, he told officers that he was there to help a friend who had been asked to document the event for the FBI. However, his friend denied it and said he made up a false story <laughs> to quote, cover his ass. Uh, he also, the officer, the DEA agent who's been arrested, also denied flashing his badge and firearm despite photo evidence. You're just dumb, sir. Dumb. Uh, his attorney is denying that he participated in the insurrection and also says that he remained honest and voluntarily cooperative with authorities. He is set to make his first appearance in court on Tuesday before U.S. Magistrate Judge Zia Faraqui. He is among at least 30 officers in 12 states being investigated for their participation in the riots. I'm willing to bet money that this will continue, that number will continue to go up. Money. Money. We've been saying since it happened that it was an inside job and that there were people who like money. I'm willing to bet money. That's it. Uh, yeah, I got more show coming up for you. You don't want to miss it. Town hall recap coming up in the next hour. So make sure you keep it locked right here. I'll be right back. Tiffany talks. Welcome back to Tiffany talks. I'm your host, Tiffany Linnell. If you missed any of the first hour of the show, you want to make sure you check out the podcast and follow and subscribe. So you don't miss any new episodes. So one of my favorite, favorite favorite musical movies. Grease has a prequel prequel that is getting a 10 episode order on Paramount Plus. Rise of the Pink Ladies will explore the backstory of the Rydell High students and the Pink Ladies. Uh, it received the order after it was announced as an HBO Max series in 2019, but moved to Paramount Plus late last year. It's based on the 1972 Broadway musical and its 1978 film adaptation. If you have not seen the 1978 film adaptation. Of course, that is with John Travolta and uh, Olivia Newton-John. And the series will explore their background, the background of the Pink Ladies, the background of the Rydell High School students. It'll follow the classic characters such as Rizzo, Frenchie, Jan, and Marty in their early years. Same location, four years prior to the events of Greece. It is one of two prequel projects currently in development, joining a film that is centered on Sandy and Danny's summer loving, summer romance. Uh, so summer loving and rise of the pink ladies are both produced by picture start temple Hill and Paramount. It'll make Greece the most expansive cinematic universe derived from a musical. The only one that is close to that is I believe the odd couple. Um, but this Greece will beat that out if these, uh, go according to plan. So I'm excited. Don't mess this up y'all. Please like, I, don't mess this up. I will shed a tear or three if y'all mess this up. I love Grease. I know all the choreography. I know all the music. I, I like, I love, I love musicals in general. The Wiz being number one, period, hands down. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. But I love Grease. So please don't mess this up. Like, please do not mess this up. 
Thank you, signed management. I've got a lot more show coming up for you. Town Hall recap coming up in the next few minutes to start. So you don't want to miss that. I'll be right back. Welcome back to Tiffany Talk. So as promised, the Town Hall recap. So first things first, he hit a couple of key being President Biden hit a couple of important uh, key topics, including infrastructure, immigration, uh, voting rights, which he touched on very little bit, uh, the economy, um, the January 6th insurrection. So uh, let me just summarize a few of these. When it came to infrastructure, he stated that he believed the infrastructure deal, which was voted on on Wednesday, which is when this town hall took place, will be moving forward after a procedural vote, which is supposed to occur this coming Monday. He thinks there's enough bipartisan uh, support on both Republican and Democrat side in order to get this through. He said there are plenty of Republicans who believe that we need this legislation. Here, here he is talking about that. And by the way, I want to say I'm in his territory. You know, there's a Portman is a good man. Portman is a, is a congressman from this area. I talked to him before I got, and I really mean it. He's a decent, honorable man. And he's, he and I are working on trying to get this, this infrastructure bill passed. But you're, you're talking about Senator Ron Portman of Ohio. Can yeah, I, I'm so, sorry. I thought so, yeah, no, but though, since you, you mentioned that uh, infrastructure, the bipartisan infrastructure uh, deal failed. The procedural vote today, right? But no, but yeah, it did. In the but Senate that's today. irrelevant. Go on. Okay. In the Senate, negotiators say that they need more time. Yeah. Okay. So then, but they expect to vote again on Monday. But how much time do you think that they need to get this done? Till Monday. <laughs> Look, no, I'm not being facetious. <laughs> I'm not being facetious. You had up to 20 Republicans sign a letter saying, we think we need this deal. We think we need this deal. So I think there'll be, you, by the way, the reason we're talking this way, we need 60 votes to get something moving. And what's going to happen is I believe, because I take my Republican colleagues at, my, at their word when they shake, I come from a tradition in the Senate, you shake your hand, that's it. You keep your word. And I found Rob Portman does that. I found that, you know, your governor is a good man. You shake his hand, it's done. No, I really mean I'm not, I'm, 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 I'm not being falsely You, you think it's going to move forward in the Senate on Here's, Monday? I do. Here's what I think. What happens is the vote on Monday is a motion to be able to proceed to this issue. Then they're going to debate the issue of the elements, the individual elements of this plan to make sure we're going to fix that damn bridge of yours going into Kentucky. No, I'm serious. We're going to talk about that bridge in just a moment. We have some anyway, but I think it's going to get done. You may find in the amendments that take place on the detail, the detail of whether or not, and I'm the guy that wrote this bill to begin with, and so I've had to compromise to make changes in the bill. When I say I, I campaigned on this. I mean, everybody thought I was a little nuts when I talked about there were three reasons why I was running. One, to restore the soul of this country, bring back some decency, too, to build back the middle class because they've been getting really knocked around a long time. They're the backbone and unite the country. And one of the big issues was dealing with infrastructure. Remember, last four years, we had infrastructure week every week. We didn't do a thing. But it's necessary. No, I really mean it. It's going to not only increase job opportunities, it's going to increase commerce. It's a good thing, and I think we're going to get done. 
I honestly hope President Biden is right. I hope that this legislation or this bill does indeed pass. We need to have bridges, roads, potholes, that pothole that almost took your tire out, all of that. Yep. We need stuff like that fixed immediately, ASAP. Now, he also, uh, like I said, mentioned the Jim Crow era restrictive uh, legislation that's being passed across different states to try and restrict voting rights. We need voting rights protections. We need federal voting rights protections. I talked earlier in the show about Representative Hank Johnson being arrested, Congressional Caucus Chair uh, member Representative Joyce Beatty also being arrested uh, on during the women-led protest on July 15th. Uh, President Biden stated there's no reason to protect it other than you're going to throw the entire Congress into chaos and nothing will get done, nothing at all will get done, and there's a lot at stake. Uh, when he was referring to the filibuster, here's a, a clip of that. People like our next guest, who just graduated from uh, law school, by the way. His name is Corey Markham. He's at uh, a graduate from the University of Cincinnati Law School, and he is getting, excuse me, he's a graduate. He's heading to law school, I'm wrong, in the fall. (laughs) So, Corey, good luck in law school, and what's your question? Your freshman Uh year, I wish you had already graduated. (laughs) I know, me too. Yeah. Uh, So my question is, last week regarding the GOP's efforts to restrict voting rights, uh, you said those efforts were, quote, the most dangerous threat to voting and the integrity of free and fair elections in our history, end quote. While you have condemned these attacks, you and congressional members of your party have done little to actually stop these assaults. If these efforts are really the most dangerous in our history, isn't it logical to get rid of the filibuster so we can protect our democracy and secure the right to vote? I stand by what I said. Never before has there been an attempt by state legislatures to take over the ability to determine who won. Not count the votes, determine who won. We have election officials across the board that they're deciding to push out of the way. And if in fact tomorrow, as let's, let's say we're running last time and we're, this, these laws have been in effect, that are these changes. In Georgia, the Georgia's legislature, you know, Biden won by multiple thousand votes. They could say, we don't think it was legit. And the state legislature votes, we're gonna send electors up to Congress to vote for Trump, not Biden. That's never, ever, 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 ever been tried before. Mm-hmm. This is Jim Crow on, on steroids, mm-hmm. what we're talking about. And so it takes, go to your second point. I've been saying for a long, long time, the abuse of the filibuster is pretty overwhelming. When I got to the United States Senate at a time when we had guys like Jim Eastland and Strom Thurmond and Robert F. Byrd and a whole range of people who were very, 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 very conservative on race to say the least. Even then, if you were to filibuster, you had to stand on the floor and hold the floor. And that's why Strom, I think, set the record at 24 straight hours or something. Don't hold me the number, but, mm-hmm. you know, so you had to take, there were significantly fewer filibusters in those days, in the middle of the civil rights movement. Well, let, let, me, let, me, let me talk to you about that. Because well, let me is, finish my answer, because well, I'll tell you what I do. 
I would go back to that where you have to maintain the floor. You have to stand there and talk and hold the floor. You can't I, just say I understand now. that. But what difference is that if you hold the floor for, you know, a day or a year, what difference does it make? Here's the thing for me. You talked about people, and this is important for people who look like me. My grandmother would sit around when I was a kid, fifth grade, had a fifth grade education. I learned that she couldn't read when, when I was doing my homework. She would tell me stories about people asking her to count the number of jelly beans in the jar, yep. or the soap. And, so why is protecting the filibuster, is that more important no, than protecting no. voting rights, no. especially for people who fought and died for that? No. It's not. I want to see the United States Congress, the United States Senate, pass S-1 and S-4, the John Lewis Act, get them to my desk so I can sign them. But here's the deal. What I also want to do, I want to make sure we bring along not just all the Democrats. We bring along Republicans who I know know better. They know better than this. And what I don't want to do is get wrapped up right now in the argument whether or not this is all about the filibuster or Look, the American public, you can't stop them from voting. You tried last time. More people voted last time than any time in American history in the middle of the worst pandemic in American history. More people did. And they showed up. They're going to show up again. They're going to do it again. But what I want to do is I'm trying to bring the country together. And I don't want the debate to only be about whether or not we have a filibuster or exceptions to the filibuster or the going back to the way the filibuster had to be used before. But isn't that the only way you're going to get it done right now? No, I don't believe that. I think we can get it done. If you if you you agree with the former president, he is called your, your as you call him, your old boss, that it is a relic of Jim Crow. It is. If it's a relic of Jim Crow, it's been used to fight against civil rights legislation historically. Why protect it? There's no reason to protect it other than you're going to throw the entire Congress into chaos and nothing will get done. All right. Nothing at all will get done. And there's a lot at stake. The most important one is the right to vote. That's the single most important one. And your vote counted and counted by someone who honestly counts it. But it goes beyond that. For example, wouldn't, wouldn't my friends on the other side love to have a debate about the filibuster instead of passing the Recovery Act? I'll be honest, I don't know enough about filibuster. What I do know about filibusters is filibusters is any act that is done to try and prevent legislation from going through or prevent a vote or anything else. It's a means of holding things up. So when they're talking about ending the filibuster, fighting the filibuster, and you also hear President Biden mention holding the floor, we need to get back to holding the floor. What he means is representatives would literally go to the floor and make a very long speech. Uh, Sometimes it would last hours or days, but that is what he's referring to when he says hold the floor. I don't know about all of that and in terms of whether or not it'll help pass legislation. What I do know is we need it and we're going to keep protesting until we do. And I'm going to keep talking about it until they do. Uh, The next thing that he talked about was he talked about the economy. There was a a Republican there who's a restaurateur and he talked about getting employees back into the restaurants to work. Here is a clip of that. This is John Lanny. He is the owner and co-founder of a restaurant group with 39 restaurants across the country, Mr. President. He is a Republican. John. Hi there, Mr. Hey, John. President. Hi. Thank you for taking my question tonight. 
Uh, we employ hundreds of hardworking team members throughout the state of Ohio and across the country, and we're looking to hire more every day as we try to restart our restaurant business. The entire industry, amongst other industries, continue to struggle to find employees. How do you and the Biden administration plan to incentivize those that haven't returned to work yet? Hiring is our top priority right now. Well, two things. One, if you notice, we kept you open. We spent billions of dollars to make sure restaurants could stay open. And, uh, and uh, a lot of people who now, who worked as waiters and waitresses, uh, decided that they don't want to do that anymore because there's other opportunities at higher wages because there's a lot of openings now in jobs. And people are beginning to move, beginning to move. There's some evidence that maintaining the ability to continue not to not have your have to pay your rent so you don't get thrown out and being able to provide for unemployment insurance has kept people from going back to work. There's no not much distinction between not going back to work in a restaurant and not going back to work at a at a factory. Uh, so people are looking to change opportunities, change what they're doing. My uh, my deceased wife's father-in-law was a restaurateur up in uh, up in Syracuse, New York. And uh, by the way, he tried to convince he had a he had a a restaurant that was in a town called Auburn, about 20,000 people, which was at a flagship 24-hour a, uh, a day r r restaurant. That, uh, and he offered it to me, which I would have been making five times that I would in law school to try to keep me in Syracuse. But I spent too many times at home, hearing a in his home, hearing a phone call. The cook didn't come in. He's in fight with his wife. What, what's going on? So exactly. I would, I, God love you doing what you do. But all kidding aside, I think it really is a matter of people deciding now that they have opportunities to do other things and there is a shortage of employees. People are looking to make more money and to, and to bargain. And so I think your business and the tourist business is really going to be in a, in a bind for a little while. Um, and uh, one of the things, we're ending all those things that are the things keeping people back from, from going back to work, et cetera. It'll be interesting to see what happens. But, I, but my gut tells me, my gut tells me that part of it relates to, you know, you can make a good salary as a waiter or waitress. Uh, one of my sister-in-laws is of uh, five sisters, makes a very good salary. She works in Atlantic City. That's where she's, she, she's from. But it is, there's a lot of people who, who are looking to change their, their occupation. So, I think, but I could be wrong. Well, let me ask you, because he's, John is looking to hire people. He's got 39 restaurants across the country. Yeah. Is there anything you can do to help him out? I mean, he's, he's got to get people in. Well, well, John, for first of all, I, you know, the thing we did to help John and the Johns out is provide billions of dollars to make sure they could stay open, number one. So you all contributed to making sure John could stay in business. And we should. We should have done that, as we did for other industries. But secondly, John, my guess is that um, people being seven, eight dollars an hour plus tips, that uh, that's I think, John, you're going to be finding 15 bucks an hour or more now. And you, but you may pay that already. You may pay that already. Well, let me, let, me, let me ask you, because everywhere I go, there isn't a, a pretty much a shop in my town, a restaurant or whatever, where there isn't a, a for hire sign. 
We were trying to check into the hotel. They couldn't get the rooms clean fast enough because they can't find staff. You mentioned something. You said we're going to end the things that may be keeping people back. Do you, are, you think that's well, the unemployment benefits? Well, that expanded? was argued it was. I, 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 don't, I don't think it did much. But the point is it's argued that because the extended unemployment benefits kept people, they'd rather stay home and not work than go to work. You don't think it, it, it did that? I, I see no evidence it had any serious impact on it. But you can argue it. Let's assume it did. It's coming to an end. So it's not like we're in a situation where if, 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 if that was it and it ends, then we're going to see John's going to have no problem. But what I think is happening, folks, is, look, if you make less than 50, and I'm not saying, John, your folks make less than 15, you have good restaurants. That means the tips are good. People make a lot more than just what the, what, what the minimum wage, what, what the wage is being paid. If you put tips on top of it. But folks, look, here's the deal. Think about it. You know, if you have an, we, for example, I, I want to be able to, one of my programs is to make sure that we have four more years of school that's free. Two years for three-year-olds and four-year-olds because it's demonstrated that that increases significantly success and community college. Yeah. Well, those folks are not likely to want to go and be waiters. There's nothing wrong with being a waiter or waitress. My family's been engaged in that business. But the folks is, and lastly, if you make less than 15 bucks an hour working 40 hours a week, you're living below the poverty level. President yeah. Biden essentially said, maybe if you would pay your employees more, and he said it as nicely as possible, you know, maybe you are paying $15 an hour, doubt it. But if you would pay employees more, more, they would make different decisions. They may come back to the restaurants. While I agree with that to an extent, it's only to an extent. During the pandemic, I think a lot of people woke up and said, you know what? I don't have to do this. I don't have to be in a job I don't like. I don't have to work somewhere, but I hate. I have this passion. I want to do this. I want to start this business. And like he said, people are making different decisions, especially when it comes to millennials, Gen Z, and any surrounding years. Like, we have got to get this country to a point of paying people a living wage. Minimum wage is not a living wage. We need a living wage. You cannot get a one bedroom apartment in many cities across the country on minimum wage or even anything close to it. It's just, it, they don't match up. The cost of living has skyrocketed over the last few years. It's continuing to rise. I'm sure it will continue to rise. So our living wages need to do the same. The next thing that I want to talk about is immigration. Here's a clip of what he says when it comes to immigration. I'm going to bring in now Medina Nolan. Medina Nolan is a writer and editor. She's a Democrat. Medina, what's your question? Hi, Medina. Good evening, Mr. President. Vice President Harris said to Guatemalans, don't come. Recently, you have indicated you are in favor of refugees coming to this country. Could you please explain your administration's basic stance on immigration? Yes, they should not come. What we're trying to set up is in the countries like in, in particular in Northern Triangle, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, etc. We are setting up in those countries, if you seek asylum in the United States, you can seek it from the country 
from your in place. You can seek it from an American embassy. Mm -hmm. You can go in and seek and see whether or not you qualify. We've significantly increased the number of officers who can hear cases as to whether or not you qualify under the law for being here as a refugee. That is, that's what we've done. Thirdly, we have been able to move significantly to change the number. There were thousands of people in, in, uh, in, in custody with the Border Patrol. It's now cut by 90%, where it's considerably down. What I, what I do say is, the one place you may heard that I'm talking about more immigrants coming in are those folks from Afghanistan who helped the American soldiers, who will be, they and their families will be victimized very badly as a consequence of what happens if they're left behind. And so we're providing for them to be able to see whether they qualify to meet this special requirement, to be able to come to the United States as a refugee and as ultimately earning citizenship here. It seems to me it's the only decent thing that we can do. In the meantime, we're going to send people to American bases where they're not going to be able to leave the base while they're Cases are being determined whether they qualify yeah. and also other bases. I, I want to talk to you about DACA. I got two questions on immigration, the quick questions I want to ask you about. Because just last week, there was a federal judge who ruled the program unlawful, blocked it from accepting new applications. What do you say to dreamers who are really worried about their futures here in the United States? I'm not letting this go. Look, guys, let's just put it. Let's just put this. You know, we talk about dreamers sort of generically. Let's think about it now, what it really means. You're five years old, you're nine years old. Your mom or your dad says, I'm gonna take you across the Rio Grande and we're illegally gonna go into the United States. What are you supposed to say? Not me, I said against the law. I'm, no, I'm, being, I'm being deadly earnest. What could a kid say? What could they do? They come here with really no choice. And they're here and they're good, good people. They've done well. 10,000 of them were first line workers. These are kids who've done well. And so what we're gonna do is, first of all, appeal the case, number one, but number two, we're gonna make sure that a number of my Republican colleagues say they support the right of dreamers to come. Let's call the question. They should be able to stay in the United States of America. I won't say too much, you know, about what he said. What I will say is our immigration laws have long needed a, a, their way overdue for an overhaul. I don't, and I've said this before, I'll continue to say it, I don't understand why it's so hard to just be decent human beings. Recently, a judge in Texas, Andrew Hannon, ruled that DACA is illegal and has blocked new applicants. Despite the judge blocking new applicants, it will not immediately cancel current permits. So I hope that we can get some major, major immigration reform because it's definitely needed in terms of just 
everything. Okay, we need it, um, especially with all the damage that was done with the Trump administration. Like, it's just needed. Aside from those key points, it was a lot of you know joking and Don Lemon, President Biden, going back and forth. It was a couple more audience questions. Um, they did talk about COVID. Now, I do want to to, to mention this because in talking about COVID, President Biden gave a bit of misinformation. So here's that clip. One last thing that's really important is we're not in a position where we think that any virus, including the Delta virus, which is much more transmissible and more deadly in terms of non-unvaccinated people, the, vi- the, the, the various shots that people are getting now cover that. They're, they're, you're okay. You're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. Now, I watched the after show after the, the town hall on CNN, and Dr. Lena Wynn actually said that she wish he he hadn't said that. It's not that the COVID vaccine prevents you from getting COVID. It does reduce your risk for getting COVID. And it does also reduce your risk for getting any of the variants that are going around. The Delta variant, the Lambda variant, God knows what other variants are coming or out there or anything else. But it's it's it'll help prevent it and you sh- you know studies are showing that you are less likely to die from from covid if you have the vaccine so that's why they're pushing for everyone to get the vaccine it will help prevent the spread it'll help uh limit the symptoms and it'll definitely help prevent death but it, it does not mean that you just won't get covid there have been plenty of people who have been vaccinated who have gotten covid but it reduces the risk for hospitalization and death So I encourage you all. Now, I'm someone, I'll be honest with you, I don't get the flu vaccine. I got the flu vaccine uh, two years in a row. I got sick both years. The second year, I got extremely sick and I'm about to never get the flu vaccine again. So I, I don't. When it came to the COVID vaccine, I sat, thought about it, all of that. But at the end of the day, I'm immunosuppressed um, because I have asthma and I had too many other immunosuppressed individuals around me. So I did go ahead and get it. And I encourage everyone else to get it as well, unless, you know, you just have your reasons like health reasons or anything like that. Um, Always ask your physician and your healthcare provider. But those are my recommendations. President Biden also talked about policing and his administration stands on anti-policing and everything else. I could do a whole show about that entire segment. So I won't go through all of the extreme details, but what he did say is that they're not anti-police, but we need different policing standards. He talked about the uh, crime levels. He talked about the uh, measures that his administration is taking, putting more DEA agents on the streets and talking about uh, how we need different training protocols and standards, which I agree with. Um, One thing that he slid into the conversation, not slid, but one thing he brought into the conversation was regarding uh, drug treatment and mental health. Now, I cannot agree with him more on this piece. Fourth, when people get out of jail, whether it's for drug addiction or any other crime, if they've served their time, they should have full access to everything from Pell Grants to public housing to, to the like. And by the way, and by the way, folks, 
It's not just the right thing to do, it's the smart thing for us to do. Because what happens, years ago there was a guy named Arlen Specter from Pennsylvania. He and I introduced legislation that was a second chance act, which meant that right now when you get out of jail in most prisons in the states around the country, what happens? You get a bus ticket and 25 bucks. You end up under the bridge just like you did before. You're almost almost guaranteed to get back in in, in, in whatever whatever your problem was before. So they should have access to drug treatment. They should have access to housing. They should have access to whatever they qualify based on their income. And we should, in prisons as well, be training people differently. But the, mind, the big thing here is we have to deal with the idea of addiction by providing for what we all know. It's a disease of the brain. Yeah. It's a disease of the brain and has to be treated as such. I think, it's, I think addiction uh, and mental health issues have to be dealt with just as if you break your arm and go to the doctor, we should be able to talk to them. There should be, I agree. There shouldn't be a stigma about it. I want- now, I have said it before, and I will say it again. You should not throw those who are experiencing or dealing with mental health crises or drug addiction, addiction issues into jail or prison. It does not do any good for that individual. And it really is just throwing people in jail for absolutely no reason with little chance for rehabilitation. You heard him mention uh, uh, reoffense, essentially. That's called recidivism. I've talked about recidivism on the show before. When you, you do not have the resources that you need when you exit prison. You just don't. That is a huge issue within the prison industrial complex. When he says that you get released and you get 25 bucks, he's not exaggerating. You, unless you have become a part of a program, you get a mentor, you get organizational resources or anything like that behind you. One, the risk for recidivism increase. And two, you do not really have the means to make it. You have to work harder. You have a record. You can't. It's harder to get hired. It's harder to get in school. It's harder to get scholarships. It really restricts your ability to make a life for yourself. Where is the rehabilitation in that? Like... Again, I could do a whole other show about that, but I will say I agree with him on on that. Of course, it's uh, near and dear to him due to his late son, uh, among other issues, but mental health needs a huge overhaul. Our systems in this country overall just need an overhaul, but our mental health system really needs an overhaul. We need more resources. We need more doctors. And please, for the love of God, cover mental health resources, quality mental health resources. It is very expensive to get mental health treatment in this country. It is doubly expensive if you are young and you need your warden of the state or anything else. It's really hard to get mental health resources. So we need to work on that. Now, again, outside of that, it was a lot of joking and going back and forth. I really wanted him to stop saying saying, no, you think I'm joking. I'm serious. I'm not being facetious. You could have played a drinking game or bet money or played bingo with how many times he said that. I don't know who on President Biden's team told him that we always think he's joking or that we don't take him seriously or anything else. But please stop saying that. Like I tweeted it and then I saw six tweets right after I tweeted it. I said, oh my God, will he please stop saying I'm not being facetious. Stop saying you're not joking. Okay, we get it. Other than that, that was pretty much the town hall in a nutshell. I honestly thought it was extremely scripted and did not like that piece of it. Um, So maybe be a little less scripted next time. But other than that, 
you didn't really miss much. I will put the link to the full town hall on my social media. So be sure you're following me there and you can check everything out there. That's going to do it for me today. Thank you for tuning in to Tiffany Talks. If you miss any of the show, you want to check out the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, and make sure you hit follow and subscribe on whichever is your favorite provider so that you can get up alerts on all of the new episodes, the latest and greatest from me, Tiffany Linnell. Uh, definitely, definitely remember, be safe, be blessed, and let God be God today. I'm out. Peace. Follow Tiffany Linnell on social media at Tiff Linnell on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. The Tiffany Talks podcast powered by Boss FM.